0: (laughs) Uh, so how to make the perfect dish obviously there is no single recipe but it does take some elements Um, direction expertise authenticity logistical know-how tight gps msg and (laughs) some cheesy quotes in a powerpoint Um, yeah like i said there's there's not going to be i'm not you're not going to come away from this and think oh yeah, I'm just going to do this really <laughs> in this way. But hopefully, um, sort of thinking about what your food says and what your food does for your brand um, will, will really help you get to a good place with the food. So, some, uh, some initial learnings, I suppose. And, and you guys have already been told this numerous times today. Street food's really hard. Um, today, you guys are outside, you watched Lily set up her stall. It was cold. Um, it's not a particularly nice day. She managed to bring, you know, enough for you guys today, but if there was a trading situation, she may not have sold it all. Um, she might also be up against several other traders, which, you know, are doing really great things. I mean, the, the thing with Curb is it's brilliant, but everybody on Curve is doing delicious food, and you've got a hard market to come up against. Um, couple that, you know... <laughs> Do you know what, for me, when I started, in my head, I was like I, I spoke to some street food traders and they were like, Yeah, I make a thousand pounds a thousand pounds a session and I'm like there from, you know, twelve until two and I was like, wow, well, I don't want to get paid five hundred pounds an hour, that sounds great. <laughs> but the reality of it wasn't like that at all. Um, you you there's so many different things to, to think about when you're running a business. Um, and you know, so many different books to balance, people to answer to. Pitches to find, staff to find, which is super hard. um, People that you can trust that are going to execute your vision. Um, So, yeah, making sure that your food is tip-top, banging, delicious, original, authentic is really, really important. No one is going to succeed with a substandard product in the street food market in 2018. Um, Yeah, so this is something... I think would really help me or would have helped me and and you guys you guys have made that this is such a great first step all of you should be very proud of yourself that you've spent you've invested now in today because spending 150 200 quid how much it was to come down today and have this hands-on experience is so invaluable and will 100% get you on a path that means you make less mistakes down the line For me, one of the big things when we're talking about purely a food sense or purely sort of a a dish sense and and, and we're talking in terms of of what you're actually going to be cooking is having kind of an idea and you you can pivot from this and I think good business is about pivoting and changing direction as you go to make sure that you're kind of going in the right place as I did from cold brew coffee and beignets to having a pop-up restaurant and whatnot. But if you can have an idea about where you want your street food business to go then that's a great, great place to start. So um, if you know that Street Food for You is going to be a platform that allows you to deliver ideas to a bunch of people and for them to eat your food and to understand what you're all about without you maybe having to slog through being a commie or a KP and a CDP and working your way up through a kitchen um, because it's going to kind of almost accelerate your opportunity to have a small restaurant or chain, then bear that in mind when you cook your food. And we'll come on to what I mean by that in a second. Uh, If you think, actually, street food, I'm all about going to festivals. I've loved what the guys um, do at, I don't know, the cheese truck with their grilled cheeses at Glastonbury. Bear that in mind. You know, your dishes should reflect that Um, in terms of, I suppose, their originality, their sort of chefiness. In a, in a way, um, how you churn them out. Street food is really not a it's not like a restaurant in, in many ways. It's a fast food game. It's mass catering. You're serving 200 people in two hours. You're not serving 40 covers over five hours. Um, so thinking about that and thinking about what you want to express with your food is super important. Lily, I think I overheard her saying while she was talking to you guys, She's never really felt the need to change what she's doing because she had a solid idea that she wants to do steakhouse, she wants to do great buffet steak, she wants to do good chips and she's got a vegetarian option. That's awesome. Lily's end goal is probably not to have the next Hawksmore, but it's to have a great sort of little cottage industry where she can go to a festival, she can go to a street food market and make some dosh and have a nice life off it. If she was perhaps looking to take that somewhere further that's where you need to start thinking about how your menu and your dishes progress um so i've I've jotted this down so your end goal should determine your food now your food is your brand and think about how that translates from the menu to the consumer Um, if you're you know a dude food brand and you're putting loads of melted cheese and pulled pork and everything that's fine no, no one, you can 100% do that but you need to make sure that your food is sort of saying that about, you know, it's kind of echoed, echoed in your branding and your branding is echoed in your food and etc, cetera, etc cetera. Um, if you're trying to be hot cuisine and do something that results in a little bistro down the line, make your food about that and perhaps from a commercial perspective with street food, you're not going to make all the money in the world doing that, but you're building your brand, you're building your image. Um, I was actually chatting to, chatting to Guy from Poke, who did the uh, the branding chat earlier, and he said, you know, he was saying, oh, at the end of Poke, I had five grand for three years' work. And I didn't really get paid. And it's like, yes, that's <laughs> like, it sounds really depressing. But what what he had done, what the value that he had from that, was that he'd, they 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 called their business Poke. They were the first people to do it. You know, they they set a trend. They built a reputation and that enabled them to then take the next step um, so having they I, mean, I think they always had an idea of being sort of a fast casual restaurant and that's why their food was the way it was um, so um yes okay so we'll come on to that in a second and we're going to talk about the sort of conundrum of bestseller versus um versus kind of cult classic I suppose um one thing I want to talk to you about as well is a little bit about your journey and your story. And I've sort of read through everyone's ideas and concepts before coming in today, and there's so much variety here. It's really important that your dishes tell, a sto- tell that story to people. Um, so for me, so just to just bring it back to my experience, my, I, loved, I loved Southern food. I thought that there was a lot of bad Southern food in London, um, or just American food got a kind of a raw deal, so I really wanted my food to be an expression of a slice of the American South that wasn't really seen here, and that wasn't Mardi Gras masks and you know Big Mama's mac and cheese. It was crawfish etouffee and boils and making hog head cheese and making all of these sort of things that were what I thought was absolutely delicious and kind of underrepresented here. And that sort of, I tried to tie, my food was really like quite specific from like quite a narrow um, cordon of the southern sort of dialect of food. But I think by cooking those things, even though often they weren't necessarily the best-selling dishes, um, and I was not making as much money as other people on the street, it gave me a little pocket that I existed in where nobody else existed. And that was super important for me. Um, And so your food, you know, should talk about what your influences are and, you know, what your, um, uh, you know, what your story is. Um, Because ultimately, often people are buying, um, buying a slice of your story and and you. Um, To illustrate this, I'm using a a buddy of mine, Rachel. Um, She she was like, spent a ton of time in new york was really into the kind of like italian american red sauce joints when she was there going to places like Bermontes and you know watching too many episodes of the sopranos and so when she came up with her concept capiche which is sort of still around they run the pembury um, tavern pub in hackney now um, she went down the line and sort of looked at the dishes that made that food unique and the stuff that we weren't getting here so I mean I think initially you could quite easily just think you know if you're doing Italian-American there's a very obvious route to go down uh which is you know maybe just I don't know looking at you know Parmesan sandwiches or you know just putting red sauce over everything and she did that a little bit but she also tried to tap into um, some dishes that you just don't see in the UK and are kind of almost like um, home-style or very traditional Italian-American dishes. So stuff like the brochure sandwich, uh, which is like braised rolled beef, is super Italian-American, but you don't tend to see that too much here. Um, she went with... She did do a meatball sub, but she used incredible ingredients. Um, she was really trying to sort of tell a story of, of, of a specific branch of Italian-American cuisine with her sandwiches and I think she did it really really well um, like in terms of representing that food she was authentic I suppose the word you would, you would use um, and came with a bunch of ideas that hadn't really been seen here um, so that kind of leads me on to authenticity um, which is a a complicated a complicated subject matter. Um, authenticity is different to different people, you know. Um, and you certainly don't have to be 100% authentic. And what I mean by authentic is like super culturally sensitive to a food um, to be successful. So this is an example. So someone like Club Mexicana, you guys probably all know, they do vegan burritos, vegan Mexican food. What they've done, they've translated kind of almost like that California like, burrito place and vegan, made it vegan. But they haven't sort of gone down the lines of going, well, what are all these vegan Mexican dishes that already exist? They've kind of almost created like a vegan Mexican junk food in like, a really delicious way. And they've done really, really well. Um, however, from if you look at a sort of a timeline of, or if you look at a, a, a plotted graph of the businesses that receive a lot of critical attention and success, often people, or often those brands keep being incredibly authentic at their core. So people like Bao, for example, are a great uh, great example of that. Um, Taking it outside of street food, places like Hoppers, they're trying to keep things very, very uh, legit, I suppose. Um, And the other thing with authenticity is it allows people to really connect with your brand. So a, a, a company that are just sort of uh, making waves now, Yun Rice Noodle, that we mentioned earlier. They're doing Yunnan rice noodle soups, essentially, in salad bowls, and they've great, got great momentum because they're they're creating something that's so them. It's their culture, and and by interacting with that brand, by going to buy that food, you're kind of taking a little slice of it, and you can feel like you, you can trust them in in in, in what they're doing. Um, so for me keeping authenticity at your core it's not, it's not for every single food business but if you can talk about that and, and, and what I mean by that is don't be afraid to pull your punches with your food and your flavours and, and sort of make it palatable for people, just go for it with, with how it should be then people you know, often, often find that uh, or you, you often find that that's very appealing Okay, so this kind of all leads me on to a little bit of a graph that we're going to pull up here, um, which is the conundrum that I think a lot of people have um, about whether to go down the road of doing something that is super kind of cult classic and authentic and uh, maybe doesn't sell as well as the fried chicken or translating your brand into something that is a little bit more commercial. Um, this is Mike uh, Mike Skinner from The Streets, uh, who has this line in one of his songs. I haven't just got an aggressive man trying to throw a chair at you. Uh, yes. Anyway, so um, what I mean by this is what you will tend to see is that this is a kind of very simplified version of this, but a good way to illustrate the idea. When you have a business, when you have a sort of food business, you can often have a fantastic original idea that is not particularly successful, but you might still get somebody to give you a few hundred thousand pounds to open a restaurant or further your concept. Um, obviously, for most people, the area they want to be in is right up here. So a successful original idea um, that's making, making a ton of money uh, really works well. Where you don't really want to be is going down a classic idea, like a grilled cheese sandwich or a fried chicken sandwich that doesn't make any money. Um, because actually, at the end of it, you're not left with very much. <laughs> um, because somebody's not like you've got your sort of ownership over the idea in the first place. So to sort of illustrate this a little bit better, I'm just going to go through a few different brands and we're going to sort of think about where they exist on the scale. So thinking of this scale, the first people I'm going to show you are Bleaker Burger. Um, what would you guys sort of say initially... Where would, they, where would they sit? Exactly. Successful and classic. What Bleecker Burger have done so well is they've made a really special version of a very classic idea. And their food's been exceptional. You know, they, they really use fantastic, fantastic meat and they're kind of unadulted um, burgers, really. They're not piled full of stuff. Even though that one has black pudding in it, um, they—they're they're really all about the making some one one product really exceptional, which is very classic. So they, for me, sit right at the top of that chain of being an incredibly classic idea. It's a burger joint. It's not reinventing the wheel, but being really, really successful with what they've done. The next one we've got is Bow. You guys, where would you go? Original and successful, yeah, exactly. So on the other side of that scale, Bao, sit in the top left-hand corner where they've had an idea. I mean, it's not an original idea in terms of Taiwanese food, but it's an original idea that's not been done in London at the time that it came here. And they obviously, they're, you know, everything about that brand is, is very aspirational for many street food traders. They've created something really, really special there. So they've put, they've made a brand that's, that's done... enormously well. They've got three or four restaurants now, more in the pipeline, I'm sure, um, from an idea that was completely kind of new to the street uh, and done really well. The next one I'm going to show you is probably one you guys haven't heard of. Um, I didn't want to be too spicy about anybody who's still trading, all right? So this is my friend Greg, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me doing this because he's doing really well now anyway. This is uh, my my buddy Greg. He's um, a classically trained chef, he worked at a restaurant called Umu, which has two Michelin stars in Mayfair. It's like a Japanese omakase restaurant. And what he did was this insane, like, ridiculous yakitori stand called Kabe no Anna. And he maybe did, like, five markets and was like, I don't make any money off this. Because <laughs> the prep and the produce he was using wasn't working very well. or uh, was just, like, too prohibitively expensive. But he basically brought, like, Japanese izakaya food to the streets of London Now you can see like his technique is insane. that's all of those skewers was part, just a small part of the skewers he would get off one chicken at a time. So he'd break it all down. insane butchery. Um, and it was such an amazing idea, but uh, he was spending, you know, 45 minutes a chicken getting skewers to feed two people, uh, and the chicken probably cost 20 quid. So it's a great idea. Uh, however, he didn't really make any money, so I put him down in the bottom left-hand corner where he's not been successful. On, and I think the successful thing is what I really mean is financially successful, um, because we're coming to the, the other line that dissects this in a second. He's done something that's not been particularly financially successful, but so original and such a great, great, great idea. So he's going... <laughs> oh bloody hell somebody owes you a favor <laughs> um, uh, so um so yeah so he's that right down in that bottom left hand corner um, <laughs> um next one i'm going to come to there's only five of these don't worry it's not going to go on all day um is Morty and Bob's Morty and Bob's who's heard about Morty and Bob's yeah a couple of people okay so Morty and Bob's for me it's a grilled cheese joint. They do like variations on a theme. It's grilled cheese. They've been in Hackney, um, Hackney Central, like near London Fields for a while. They run uh, the food at NTS, and they're actually don't, I mean, They're just about to open another little site in that Coal Drops Yard development in King's Cross. So, so they've done okay. Super, super classic. They're doing grilled cheese. However the fact that you guys didn't all raise your hands sort of says it all. They have been successful financially. They have done quite well. But they're not exactly at the top of everyone's critics list. So they've gone for a super classic kind of... Um, super classic idea, but been, been moderately successful. Why have they not been more successful? I think maybe because they came a little bit late uh, in terms of adoption. Um, they weren't necessarily bringing anything particularly new to the market but they were doing something that people really like to eat. So I put them sort of a bit further down on the successful ladder um, and, and straight in there with, with a sort of classic idea um, here. And you'll see why in just a second. Finally, the last one I'm going to do is not a real brand. It's me. Um, where, so this is my brand, Tom's grilled Cheese. I use Warburton's Bread, uh, cheese, cheddar cheese from Booker, and I serve it in a brown paper bag. Where do you think I'm going to be? <laughs> yeah, I like the logo. It's quite easy to find a nice logo if you just type your name into a Google Image Search. Um, so yeah, there you go. Don't use Guy. Just do that. Use someone else's. Um, no. So um, so yeah. So this is a super classic idea, but I haven't really brought anything new to the game here. I've done something that's pretty standard that you can make at home, basically. So I'm not doing very well. Very unsuccessful, uh, but a classic idea. And you will see this with brands. You'll see this with businesses, that people have a classic idea, but actually their execution of it is not that great. <laughs> so their success is kind of determined by that. And so what this black line is, is a line where I think you get critical and sometimes financial Success. So anything in this kind of area, you will see people kind of respond to. So despite Greg having a terrible business that didn't make any money, he's now earning in the mid-40s somewhere. Uh, He's been employed by somebody to basically run a yakitori pop-up grill restaurant in their bar complex because he found a niche in the market. And he was able to almost make himself an authority on that. And that in itself was incredibly valuable to him. So despite him not really having any money from this and having to work a regular job, he's gotten an original idea, executed it really well, not made any money, but still is you know, doing, doing okay for himself from it. Bow obviously are up here. They got tons of investment straight away because they had. I mean, I don't know. Ollie, is Ollie still here? Yeah. Did Bow make any money with Curb? Yeah. I mean, so they probably started off down here, but as but as but as they as they rose up and as they got investment, they're now right up here. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes that sort of original idea, like selling out your idea to chase the bucks, is not always the best way to go. And you do see that with some traders. They will start off doing something really original and then they'll go, oh, God, I'm not making any cash because they haven't got an end goal in mind. They then do this and they go, okay, I've got this, you know, I've got my whatever Italian sandwich business. Um, oh, I'm not making any money. I know I'm going to do a special of fried chicken and that kind of puts you here. And then they go, oh, no, actually, fried chicken made me more money this week, so I'm just going to put it here. And actually they become maybe the, the the arc is more like that and they come up to here. But they've sold out what made them exciting in the first place to chase the bucks. And like, it's so understandable. <laughs> it's so understandable because obviously everybody wants to be able to feed themselves at the end of the week from a business um, and not have to work another job and not have to do all of that stuff. So chasing the cash is great, but... What I'm trying to say by showing you this is that, actually, sometimes sticking with something will get you, in the long run, to a place that's maybe better, even better, than a sort of short-termist uh, fried chicken sandwich, which is going to make you an extra two pounds a sandwich when you sell it at the market. Um, this line, like I said, is kind of investment and, and critical success. And I just think the more, obviously, the place you want to kind of be is here Um, but the more original your idea is the more chance you have of getting a fantastic you know write up or getting you know people to understand where you're coming from I would put Decatur about there it was a pretty original idea I didn't do that well out of it but as it's gone on like certainly like we got really good critical success over time Um, yeah so um, why is Morton Bob's here to really get to this classic successful place, you have to be really good. I was going to swear. You have to be really, really, really good. Um, and Bleeker are exceptional. Um, I'd put Mother Clucker in that sort of realm as well. Um, who else? Ollie, any ideas? <laughs> Who's done like a very classic, fantastic sort of dish, but they've really made it, they've kind of made that space their own. With someone like, I mean, the cheese truck, the cheese truck basically do what these guys did but have a bar, cheese bar in Camden. They had amazing traction, they were really sort of everywhere and, and were early adopters of it, like doing a great grilled cheese sandwich. So, what I'm trying to say is, the less original your idea is, um, the better it needs to be to get that success. Um, Bredos? Bredos? Tacos? Yeah? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really, really good shout. And I think, I think the thing with um, Bredos is also a really good example of somebody that uses sort of authenticity in quite a weird way. They're super authentic about so much stuff. Like they, um, so to make the the corn, to make the dough for a tortilla, you have to treat the corn husk with alkaline or nixtamalize it. They do that themselves at the restaurant. They're doing everything from scratch. They're getting like heirloom corn varieties in but they're also putting like cornflake fried chicken on it at the end of the day so they've they've kind of they've, they're telling their authentic story with the with the produce and the way that they do the way that they do certain things but they're also being able to be a little bit more elaborate with some of the dishes and and, and inauthentic and it's a it's a, you know it's a it's a balance and like i said there's no perfect answer to this but i certainly think that this stuff just think about that before you start and think about your place and where you kind of want to be and and really like it's it's a good a good thing to start off doing okay um, next slide, why do people pay for food? This is another thing that you should also always think about when you're selling uh, when you're selling food to people so here we this says the healthy stuff I bought for lunch at the start of the week me and a 12-pound calorically terrible lunch. Um, you <laughs> people buy food for a ton of different reasons. Um, um, and I'm going to start off with this quote, actually. So this is uh, the editor, old editor of Eater uh, US. Uh, this is actually a tweet you wrote about something that happened in a, in a restaurant in New York where a guy was uh, serving ice dusted in pickle juice and spices and for like $8.00. Um, <laughs> anyway, interesting story. Look it up. Submission Chinese. But she says, it's absurd and almost hostile to take a restaurant dish to task for the street value of its ingredients. As diners, we don't just buy ingredients. We buy labor, knowledge, time, location, vibe, mood, narrative, soundtrack, aesthetic, comfort, and the freedom from doing dishes. And you often see this when like, somebody takes somebody down and yelp for a one-star review when they've asked for hot water for their their tea bag like when people buy food they're not just buying the ingredients they're buying a lot more and that's why authenticity and branding and all of that stuff contributes to what you're doing so you know <laughs> do you bear that in mind when you when you when you're sort of thinking about your dishes you, you really you've got to try and tell a story here because that's what people are buying much more than just the ingredients that are on the plate um Obviously, some of this stuff here is not that relevant, like the narrative and soundtrack and whatnot um, to, uh, to street food. But nevertheless, it illustrates a point. So to begin to, resonate, to make a dish that resonates with people and becomes a big hit, you should also think about why the people are buying food in the first place. So what I see as four of the main pillars are expertise, specialist equipment or produce, price, and location. Um, these four things and a combination of these are basically the main reasons people are going to spend money on buying food from you rather than going to Tesco and getting it themselves and cooking it at home. So what do I mean by expertise? Um Expertise kind of comes into a few different, I guess, aspects of of what you're doing. Um, It could be that you're an incredibly well-trained chef and you've got the incredible skills of mounting sauces and dicing shallots incredibly finely, uh, and making beautiful food. Uh, People will pay for that. Um, If you have a deep understanding of a food and culture, uh, authenticity, as I mentioned... People will pay for that too. If you've got a hand-me-down recipe, which kind of ticks a little bit of both of these other boxes, uh, people will spend money on that. And if you're doing something that somebody's never seen before and they want to try it, um, your expertise is really what they're buying. Expertise in the dish. Specialist equipment or produce. So this is a big thing, and probably a big reason why fried chicken is very popular. Because if you, as a food trader, have a prohibitively expensive or large or messy piece of equipment that is not feasible to have at home, like a fryer or a pasta extruder or a big old smoker where you're smoking tons of briskets for 12 hours or a wood-fired pizza oven, people will also pay you to eat your food because they're not going to be able to recreate the same thing at home. It kind of has a little bit from column A as well. Um, obviously, you have to have the skills to use those things, um, and produce. I mean, produce is what you're using at the end of the day. If you're buying all your ingredients from Tesco's, then why? Like, people will people will think about, despite that that previous quote that I just put up. People will think about that when they purchase your food. So, you know, trying to use something that's really special, it's maybe only available to restaurant chefs or to wholesale customers, is 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 a good a good place to start. Um, so yeah okay. uh, the next thing is price people buy, will buy your food from the street because it's cheap it's cheaper than anybody else's and obviously that's a big motivating factor for some people um, and certainly you know the lunchtime crowd they're buying five lunches a week they're not always going to want to spend 8 9 pounds it's cheap, great um, there's also uh, sometimes a fetishisation of having the most ridiculous product Or the most expensive. So people will buy your food because they want to say that they spent 50 quid on a burger because it's got truffles and waggy beef and all of that stuff. Um, And then finally, the location. So you're in an amazing place. You're at the top of the Eiffel Tower or on the, you know, I don't know, the top of the Shard. Your food probably, like, you know, it has to be good, but actually people are paying to be in a location. Um, If you put that in terms of a street food uh, street food sort of scenario. For example, I recently went to a place called um, Sunbury Antiques Market. I was there at six in the morning to buy some bits and bobs. There's one van selling coffee and one van <laughs> selling bacon rolls. And the bacon rolls were seven quid. But so they definitely didn't hit the price cheap element. I wasn't buying any expertise. I wasn't buying using; they were just cooking it off a griddle, but there were no other no other options, so I bought it. Um, so you know, so what? And then the other one is lots of football. So somewhere like um, Soho, for example, if there's a, a a bunch of restaurants, people there's almost like um, people will not be able to get into one and go to another one and go to another one, and they will filter down like that. So the reason I'm showing you these is because people buy food for all of these different reasons. So they're they're hopefully, like, the the, the ultimate is that you have a brilliant piece of equipment where you're making something nobody else can make, super cheap in an incredible location. Obviously, that's the dream, and that's the key to making a ton of money, but it's not that realistic. Um, So people have, like, a you know, people have a different combination of these, but I would always think about this as well. When you're thinking about designing your dishes, like, basically what I'm trying to say is average doesn't cut it with the food if you're in a location where there's a ton of other options um, and they're all cheaper than you. Um, So make sure that what you're doing has some of this element in. Ideally, what I guess Curve are looking for really is a big old chunk of expertise uh, everything else on here, you can earn or learn uh, or find. Like, but if you come to curve, if you come to the street with something that's really, really, you know, it's it's you a, eh? but it's also something that only you can do. Then that's uh, that's a really good place to be in. So I said, if you can only have one, have expertise.